Hey, so here we are, Code of the West. I think this should be about episode six, maybe five. I haven't really kept track of how many I've recorded versus versus how many I've uh, released. I know there's at least one that I did, I did um, that may or may not come out just because it was sort of an experiment to see if I could get both mics wired up at the same time. And it was also the person's first podcast and if we're going to do it, I think we're going to do another one just to kind of like, um, you know, kind of try to polish it up a little bit. I don't know. I'm not very polished. That's kind of the point of this whole thing. So we'll just see how it goes. Um, so today is, what is it? This Sunday, January 23rd. And uh, that means the drop on February 3rd is just a little bit under two weeks away. And I should be getting all the product delivered to me sometime this week, uh, which I'm really excited to have in hand. It's pretty trippy also to think about it because I've in some way, shape or form wanted to make or produce things for a long time. You know, even when I was in high school, we like I took a screen printing class and I thought it was so cool to, uh, you know, make a single screen print and get it on a shirt. And I mean, we're talking super low fidelity here because you were making a screen by putting the photo emulsion on a very, very um, not fine screen and just sitting it out in the sun and hoping it exposed properly. But it was cool to go through the process and also just to have something to show for it at the end. But there was even a time after high school where I thought it'd be kind of cool to start a t-shirt company. But the thing is, is uh, I'm a very action oriented person. Like, or maybe goal oriented is the right way of, of saying it where I, I don't create just for the sake of creating. Uh, people always assume that about me because they're like, Oh, you're an artist. And I don't really feel like much of an artist most of the time. And it probably stems partly from the way I've grown up. And if you've been following along, you know, um, I grew up very blue collar and uh, we didn't even talk about <laughs> doing construction yet with my, uh, my mom and my stepdad's business. But I grew up with people who were trade. He had trades for a living and no one, no one was ever encouraging me not to, to make art or, or make comics or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I think most people in my family would also admit that they didn't really have any conception of what that would look like as a career. And so while they were encouraging, they were also always, you know, very much have a backup plan. But anyways, I'm digressing because what I'm trying to get to is, is, um, I, I kind of need to have a puzzle to solve or some reason to dig my teeth into something. Uh, like even when I'm writing stories, I don't just sit down and say, oh, this would be really cool if I had a, I don't know, a half man, half pig hero <laughs> go and fight a demon or something. You know, like I don't, I don't start there. I typically start with a theme or some sort of thing or an idea that I want to express. And then I, start spitballing and thinking what kind of story would, would work well for it. But um, the same kind of goes for product and things. Uh, I didn't really, like I wanted to make shirts and I wanted to make hats, but I I think now I would, you would refer to it as branding, but there isn't really any reason to just make something for the sake of making it in my mind. I know there's plenty of people who do do that and I'm, I wouldn't say I'm envious of it because I like the way my brain works, but it seems like that would be a lot of fun <laughs> to be able to just sit down and be like, I'm going to draw some cool shit and I'm going to put on a shirt. Maybe I'll put it on a, 
bag or something. I don't know. Like I, I just, I don't have it in me. It, it takes a lot to, to get to something interesting with me. I, it, I mean, it's taken, I mean, 20 plus years of really seriously trying to figure out how to, how to do comics, how to draw, how to design. I say design. I, I'm pretty shitty at it. Honestly, I never really gave it the time that it deserved, but, um, I need, I need to, I need to have some sort of problem to solve. So a black rifle, a lot of times that might be, you know, here's a coffee bag has this name on it. This is what it means. This is the context. And it's like, okay, cool. We got to figure out a way to convey this idea in a bag that looks dope as hell. And somebody would feel bad about throwing away at the end. There you go. That's, that's the way in for something on my own. I, I struggle honestly outside of comics and storytelling because I kind of went past the point of even considering what is cool. Well, I'm not cool for one, but it's like I have friends who are really into high end stereos and they've kind of gotten to the point where they don't even really, they don't even really care about the kind of music they listen to. They're more concerned with the recording quality. And I feel like that's almost where I got to with drawing where I just like the challenges of certain things and there's certain shapes and curves and flow that I really enjoy replicating in ink or digital ink, you know, depending on what I'm using. And so I kind of just, I lost track of what cool was. And I don't think that I ever really knew what it was because I, I, my brain's always kind of functioned this way. I, I can tell you what I think is cool and my tastes tend to line up with not necessarily popular culture, but uh, trends that end up happening. You know, like I, 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 like I like Filson stuff, for instance, having seen Dan wear it when I was growing up, when he was working out in the woods and stuff and doing construction. And so I gravitated towards that when I could afford it later in my life. And, you know, then there was the lumber sexual thing that happened in like the mid 2010s. And uh, it, I think it's still a thing now, especially in the Northwest where you've got a Subaru Outback, you're required to have a, a flannel of some kind. And, uh, you know, like Chaco sandals in the summer. But uh, my point though, is, is that like, I'm not, I don't look like I got dressed in a thrift store blindfolded uh, by a high school kid or something. Um, But uh, sorry, if you can hear the street, uh, I apologize. I had to move my podcast quote unquote studio away from the kitchen counter tonight. And I live on a street in Salt Lake that for some reason, People barrel down at extreme speeds with very loud or lack, lacking mufflers. So if you hear stuff in the background, that's why I apologize. I'm trying to do the best I can to negate all that stuff. But so what I'm saying, though, is that like the uh, doing the branding thing and trying to make shirts, make hats, blah, blah, blah. I think about it over the years. And I think I mentioned before I tried that TCB ZFG thing, which was taking care of business, zero fucks given kind of a play on uh, Elvis Presley's TCB band. And, but once again, it was, it was, it was sort of like an exercise in solving a problem. I, I just sort of wanted to try a different style that was more punk rock. I was just trying to draw something or create something differently. There was no point or intention behind it. And, and not having this ability to really just draw cool things. Like I can tell a story. That's what my thing is. I, I'm not good at telling jokes, ironically, uh, in person anyways, but I can, I can slow burn the hell out of a, a narrative and I, and I see stories and everything. And I'm, I'm reading a few books right now uh, that are 
uh, about the mind, neuroscience, and then also one of Jordan Peterson's books, the uh, follow-up to The 12 Rules. And this is all kind of spurred from the, the EEG scan that some of us got at Black Rifle a couple weeks ago. We got a chance to see how our brains work. And it was pretty interesting for me, but more validating than anything, because my my brain actually is set up to be more of an engineer or a scientist. And that's what the scientist I was talking to explained to me. I've got this thing where the my prefrontal lobe is more active than my my uh, my rear. And it's supposed to be the other way around. And it's significantly like they're both pumping up a lot of juice and and what where my prefrontal uh, lobe is is you know I'm, I'm not like in danger of my brain exploding or anything but it's it's tuned up pretty high <laughs> and that tends to be for people who whose brains are set up to understand how to build things and put things together and they want to break things apart and it was kind of cool to hear this guy say this to me you know and this is not empirical well it's empirical in the sense there's like real data to to pull from like it's scanning your brain but there's still this is still kind of the wild west as far as the, t- the technology goes and they're comparing my brain waves against 35,000 other templates as well as virtual minds that they've built in a computer which is both terrifying and awesome and as we kept talking he just kept explaining more things about me that made seemed to make more sense especially from self-diagnostics and then trying to explain to people why I am the way that I am as far as art or creative goes. So it made a whole lot of sense to me that I struggle with quote unquote cool or interesting ideas because it's, I'm, I'm literally not wired that way. I am not wired to just sit down and draw and doodle and do fun things. I, I've got to build something from the ground up and it has to be structurally sound. And I've known this about myself, but I didn't know if it was something that you know, I had learned along the way or if it was genetics and it's from everything that I'm reading, it's kind of not even 50, 50, it's mostly genetics. Like you can't, the way my brain is, you can push it or nudge it in certain directions, but I'm basically, this is, this is my thing. And, um, it was, there's some, there's other things about it too, which I found interesting, but I won't bore you with them. But, uh, it's just basically long story short, my brain's not what you would typically see in a creative or artistic person. So for all these years, uh, I've been able to, to learn comics because Paul had helped me and there was not a syllabus for it, but there had been generations of people doing this. Well, let's see about three or four generations in America that through Paul, I, I had access to a back back about two generations past him, you know, directly and indirectly. And I was able to sort of reverse engineer anecdotal information and find a way to create my own syllabus out of that. But once again, it's uh, there was a very rigid way of learning for me. I, I was uh, like basically copying artists that I admired and, and wanted to study, and I would ink over scanned copies of comics from people like Jack Kirby and Paul. And I would study the direction of the stroke of the the brushes and the ink and all uh, different, all this crazy stuff. But once again, I'm deconstructing to reconstruct. That's as I've realized exactly how my brain works. So over the years, I guess I just kind of learned how to listen to myself, listen to my gut instinct, as I've mentioned before, but also just quiet my brain a little bit and try 
I don't want to say self-diagnosed, not in the the WebMD kind of way, but I mean in the like I don't want it to sound hoodoo-ish or anything. It's just I think that if you listen to your body, it'll tell you a lot, especially if you know regarding diet or physical activity. You know, if I drink a lot now, unlike in my twenties. I can tell you exactly what parts of my body are like, oh, oh shit. I know what you did last night. It, it's like certain certain muscles and and probably organs are just like, nah, brah, we can't do we can't be doing this anymore. <laughs> and the same goes for my mind. It, it took me, I mean, I always struggled with going to sleep and quieting quieting my brain down. And you know, if I missed this window, I would I would kind of just be up all night. That was another thing that the doctor, or I guess he's a doctor. I mean, I didn't ask, but he's a scientist, so let's go with it. He was telling me, well, he surmised that I probably had a hard time going to sleep. And I was like, oh, yeah, 100%. And he was telling me that there's certain things that I could try to, to do to, to mitigate that. One of the things he told me is that in the morning, there's these photosensitive cells in our eyes that react to blue light. The blue light of the morning, that they just they end up triggering a reaction in our brain to start releasing and building up melatonin through the day. This accrues throughout the day. And then when you're ready to go to sleep, essentially when you close your eyes, uh, there's a 15 minute window where the brain automatically starts releasing this melatonin. If you don't get that jump start in the morning, your brain doesn't know to start doing it. And so you either won't have it by the time that you go to sleep, or if you do have it and you miss the window, which is quite common for me, that can also be a problem. And so all the, all this has just been fascinating. But And the reason I'm bringing it up is just to kind of like talk about in context why Code of the West, I think, is finally happening for me and why I'm able to finally put something together. And I think it's because I've been studying for years, listening to myself, knowing my limitations, knowing what I'm good at, knowing what I'm not good at, and now I'm in a place where I can start implementing it in, 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 in a, I'm trying not to, I, I know people think that or probably are under the impression that like, Oh, he's just being fake humble. He's, he's a great artist. It's like, I really don't think that I don't feel that when I go to sit down to do something, I certainly don't feel that I have to, I have to almost lay things out in my mind as if I'm putting the parts of an engine down on the floor to, to look at before I start assembling things. Like I have to have all that stuff laid out and ready to go before I start drawing or before I start writing. And there, and there's all sorts of stuff that you get in the iterative process, but you just, you do have to just kind of eat it and go for it. But code of the West though, this idea of a brand. So like today I, I basically put together the code and I put it on my Instagram and I made it available for people to right click, save, I guess call it download on the website. Cause I want I want people to be able to print it and put it up, hang it up wherever they want, because I don't want to own the idea of code of the West. Like I don't, this is the weird assemble assemblage in my mind. I'm, I'm trying to channel something that I think is already there that has sort of an amorphous structure to it. Like, I think part of the reason why people are reacting to this the way that they are and it's not like millions of people are, but it's enough to make me go, okay, there's, I'm not the only one. I think what people are reacting to is either 
some part of it is triggering nostalgia for a family member or the way some people were telling me, oh man, I grew up just like that in reference to the truck driving podcast or some of the anecdotal pieces of advice that I've, I've put on the po- the posts on Instagram or the the uh, art pieces themselves, people responded to and said, you know, certain people in their lives said things like that, or they'd tell me other little cool sayings that people in their family had. But I think that there's there's something ancient about it. And as I'm reading Jordan Peterson's book, it kind of actually goes into a lot of stuff that I've read about before with uh, specific regards to Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and the monomyth. Now, P- Peterson's not presenting it in the sense that it's a monomyth. He's a clinic. He's a, he's a science, he's a psychologist and quite the intellectual way more than I am. And he, and I'm only like three chapters into this book. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But so far what he's talked about is this idea of, how you have to have rules and and there's honor and him. He's even used words like code, which I thought was funny that I just accidentally came across this book when I did, but everybody kind of understands there's an implicit set of rules for engaging with other people. And you can see it in little kids, like when they're playing and even if the kids don't understand the rules, kids react when shit doesn't quite work out. If one kid's playing with the ball too much, somebody gets upset because they want to play with it. The kid with the ball is kind of like, Hey, I'm just playing with the ball but is hearing and seeing the commotion and the reaction and doesn't know what he did, but knows that he was implicit in some, something, you know, and it's for, it's for the adults and the people around him to kind of, you know, either tell him if he just needs to share or if he was being an asshole or whatever. But, you know, I think that there's, I think personally, we need stories to, to live. Like, I think we need narratives to move through the day. And Peterson talks about this too, that, you know, you, you don't, there's like this theory of the mind where you have a brain inside of your head. That's a muscle. It's firing neurons. There's electrical signals moving through it. It's pretty amazing. Uh, You know, it's a calculating machine that's organic. However, me talking to you, the thoughts that I'm formulating, you listening to my voice and reacting to it and having your own thoughts that's the theory of the mind. That is that is the ghost in the machine because you, you, your identity, your mind is not just solely those neurons, but it also is. <laughs> it gets into this weird shit. And so, so basically what Peterson's talking about and, and what, where, what I think it kind of relates back to the idea of the monomyth is that cultures, cultures have used stories for centuries to lay out morality and, I mean, laws, different codes of conduct, things to aspire to, honestly. I mean, that's really what a myth is most of the time. It's either a cautionary tale being like, hey, yo, if you, if you get a big head, someone's going to ch- come by and chop that motherfucker off. But at the same time, it's, it also can be like, hey, this is what you can be if you put your nose to the, the grindstone or if you're honorable, if you're, you take the hard path. I mean, that's part of the reason why Star Wars blew up the way that it did. Joseph Campbell basically sat down with George Lucas on the first one and was like, yo, he, if you want to do this, here's how you do it. And it got to the point where even Francis Ford Coppola was telling Lucas like, man, you could turn this into religion, make a shit ton of money. And Lucas was like, nah, I got a different way to do it. He, he was smart and he negotiated for the uh, product rights, uh, which uh, is a cool story actually for star Wars. But um, you know, we need, 
we need these stories to compare to. And then we also need each other to kind of bounce things off of. Because if you have this theory of the mind, hopefully I didn't just break everybody's heads with that. But you you, you only know what you know. And what's cool now at this point in history, the amount of information that is accessible is exponential. And it grows exponentially now. It was a lot harder to gain information before the printing press because anything that you needed to know would have had to been orally taught to you. You know, like when Plato was talking about how everybody in life should only have one job, one thing they master, it's because you had to go physically sit down with somebody and have them explain it to you over the course of years and then train you. There was no, there really wasn't any opportunity to just go pick up a book. Uh, I mean, books existed, but they were codexes. They were, they were hand transcribed, super expensive locked up, usually written in one language that only a handful of people could read. And you just didn't have the masses accessing it. Now the masses have access to information and we're basically just screaming at each other all the time. That's its own thing. Uh, But I think that it's, it's one of the, it's very, very necessary to be able to talk to other people, talk about the things that are going on in our heads, but also just have like a sounding board and a place where you can do that. You know, I'm not trying to create a forum or a message board for Code of the West. It's just that I think that there's something to be said for having this this shared idea that you know or you feel as though if I have this Code of the West hat on or you have a Code of the West shirt on and I see you on the street, we don't need to know everything about each other to know that sort of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, oh, you and I are probably pretty cool with each other because it stands for something. And I think that you, that's what I'm, I, that's what I'm trying to do anyways. I, I probably fail to rise to the occasion of my own 10, 10 rules that I put on the code or the code of the West, but, but I try, that's what I want. That's my myth. I want to aspire to that myth. And that's why, you know, I'm starting with the cowboy and the cowboy will always be central to it, but it's meant to be everybody. It's meant to be global, to be honest, but unfortunately democracy is not the most, well, we're not really democratic, we're a republic, but the idea of freedom and freedom of thought and the freedom of movement, movement, apologies, is a, it's a very American idea uh, that didn't exist in practice before we were around. And the dark side, there is a dark side to everything. Like our, our history is both amazingly beautiful and amazingly scary and dark and shitty because it's the duality of existence and also the reality when you have people involved, not every person is going to come into something with the best intention. And some people are going to see a system and just learn how to manipulate it. But for the time being, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not evil. I'm not corrupt. And what I'm talking about with code of the West, I think if I'm being totally honest and I'm, I'm not trying to make this, political or something bigger than it needs to be. It's just that I think it does need to be. I think it's really important to talk about what it means to be a good person and what it means to conduct one's self with respect and honor and and how you move through the world. I also think that it's been a great boom, boon for me to, 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 to roll through life in this way. And it's not that I think people aren't doing it. I just think that maybe, maybe some, maybe some of us just forgot about it. 
and then maybe some of us never were exposed to it. But it seems like when people are exposed to that kind of behavior, especially in the face of if someone's screaming at me or, you know, I've, I've been in situations over the years where I found myself in a discussion where I might not be on the same side of things politically or philosophically with somebody. I wouldn't let myself get upset. I just listen, you know, listen to the other person. I go into it with the assumption of giving respect and dignity. The assumption that this person is not evil. They just think that this is the best way to go about it. And maybe, maybe they're right. Maybe I should listen. Maybe there's something in here that I can learn. And usually if someone's on the complete opposite side of things for me, it's, it's more finding the emotional nut in it. Like, what are you trying to help? Who are you trying to help? Because that's the irony is that most of us are actually arguing over how to help each other, which is insane to me. Like that, that is really what the nut of most of our arguments are politically in this country is just us debating about how much we want to help people and how we can do that most effectively. And and so I want to take it down to sort of a neighborhood level or a community level. And I think that's something that was present throughout my childhood still in the 80s and 90s. And maybe, maybe I was just in kind of hole-in-the-wall places. But, you know, my grandparents' neighborhood, there were people there that knew each other. They'd help each other out. My grandpa would mow the lawns for the neighbors who were a little bit older than him and, you know, were unable to, to do it themselves. Uh, you go rake leaves, you, you know, help people move, just whatever. Someone's out of town, you water the, water the lawn. It didn't seem like a big thing, but I mean, nowadays, most people don't even know their neighbors. I don't know my neighbors. I'm, I, every once in a while, I leave the stack of boxes that I live in and here in Salt Lake City and I see somebody, but we, we don't really talk to each other. And, you know, I'll wave and say hello and Sometimes people will wave and smile back. And sometimes more often than not, people just look at you like you're a crazy person. Uh, that definitely happened a lot when I lived in New York City. But I want to still keep trying. I don't want to give up. I'm, I'm not saying that I, you know, you can change the world through courtesy. But, man, I, I feel like you can have an effect on it. And I used to remember being little. And, and it was like a lot of little things that about manners and things I remember as a kid used to kind of bug me, it, you know, tucking your shirt in was a huge one. I just, man, I did not want to do that. I, I kind of, I have phases where I'm, I'm okay with it. It's usually when I'm like more trim <laughs> and I feel like I'm not looking, I look better when I'm, I have my shirt tucked in, but I, I just, I didn't like conforming. I've always had an issue with this for some reason. And so tucking your shirt in, that was one thing. Taking hats off inside, like, it was a big no-no and it didn't matter if you were wearing a ball cap or if you were wearing a fedora or something, you just, you, you, if you crossed the threshold into a house, you didn't have your hat on. You definitely didn't have it on at the dinner table. I mean, it was just a, it was a thing. And I, I remember bucking that as well. Cause I was always, again, explain to me how something's built. I always wanted to understand the why behind everything. And I've kind of gotten to this point now where I've kind of realized as an adult, it's, I almost feel like Yoda saying this, but the why is less important than, than just the act of humility. You know, it's, it's a, it's a display to somebody of respect when you do things like this. And through our shared culture at the time, anyways, I don't know if anybody would even pay attention if I took my hat off now and I walked into a room, 
but at a certain point in time, that was a, it was a code. It was a nonverbal communication to somebody that you were aware of them, you were respecting them and their space, and you wanted to make a display of it. I mean, a good example of this is somebody putting their hand out to shake and the other person not reciprocating it. Talk about, I mean, I've, I've witnessed that and it's really, I've actually done it to uh, one time in my life. And it's, it's strange to, it's something, it's an act you take for granted because it's almost like a passive thing. Someone puts their hand out, you just automatically shake it, move on. But to so deliberately not do it when somebody offers their hand, it, it shakes up something kind of primal, I think in both parties and, excuse me. And so with, with, how this feeds into code of the West. I'm not saying that like everybody's going to be tucking their shirts in and taking their hats off inside. It's just that I want, I hope that when people are thinking about it or if they end up buying a shirt or get a hat or whatever, when they put it on, these are the things that I want people to think about and and ponder. I don't want them to just get a hat because they know me or because I work at black rifle or just because the art's cool, any, any number of those things, if you do it, that's fine. But what I'm, what I'm hoping more than anything is, is that what I'm talking about, what I'm trying to articulate with either the podcast or the art and the products itself, I'm, I'm hoping that you're picking up what I'm laying down as to why I'm doing it. That's, that's why I hope people engage with it because I want I want to know in my theory of mind, I want to know that I'm not the only person out here. And, and like I said, I think it's been confirmed and I know that, but now I'm just, now it's kind of like a game. Now I want to see, you know, either how many of us we can remind or maybe even teach some new people. I, 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 I'm not trying to, I'm not a parent to my knowledge. Um, but, uh, I, I think that these would be things that I'd want to, teach my kids. I would want to talk about manners and courtesy and opening doors. And my, my grandparents and my mom and my dad would always have me doing things like opening doors for strangers. I still do that. Uh, closing doors for ladies on dates, pushing, uh, pulling, pushing chairs out and in. But I'll be honest with you, uh, barring the door thing, I don't know where any of that fits in anymore. And a lot, or a lot of it, I should say. Of course, I don't really go on dates because I just I work all the time, and it seems as though you can't really just meet people organically anymore. I've done the app thing, and it is just uh, I hate it. I hate it was I hate it so much. It's it's no fun for one. I, I enjoy having to go out and meet people organically, and having to have the courage to kind of go up to a stranger. I, I don't want to know. I don't want to be weeks in or hell even hours in to meeting somebody and know whether they're the kind of person that you know, is fear driven, timid, which I'm not saying that I couldn't, I can't be friends or be close to somebody who's timid. It's just that that's not the kind of person I'm typically wanting to link arms and red Rover with. I I want somebody who's dynamic and, and um, courageous, you know, Uh, and I don't think courage has to be a big explosive thing. I think courage is just being yourself a lot of times and, doing what you think is right, even though it might conflict with, you know, the people around you. And I think that 
you know, I, I need to, I need to be more courageous in my own life, but I certainly need to be more courageous outside of these apps. <laughs> I might have to edit that out. I don't know. I'll debate about that. Uh, so yeah, I, I just, I want, I want you guys to know that there's a method to the madness and that it's not, and maybe this, maybe it sounds like a pitch or something and I apologize if it does, but it, it might seem kind of odd that I'm selling things to try to kind of, I guess, put out a moral code, <laughs> which does sound kind of funny when I say it out loud, but I don't know. It's kind of the world that we live in and, you know, we, we, we group together invariably. I do it. I mean, I love being under the black, the black rifle banner. I like being, a part of that family because I believe in it. And it's really rare that I feel so passionate about something that comes from an external place, but it's partly because I, I know the people, the individuals that are involved with it. I'm involved with it now too. And decently decent chunk of, of stuff. And, and so therefore I'm, I'm willing to represent it. in fact, I really want to represent it. I love, I love it when people, see me wearing black rifle stuff and we kind of do the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Bob's your uncle kind of thing, or we have a conversation. Cause like I was saying about even if someone were to be wearing code of the West stuff and you see it and you have that moment, like you, it's so deliberate. It's, 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 you know, wearing Nike, not, not nothing against Nike either way. It's non plus to me. It doesn't really tell you anything. It just, it's like, okay, it's one of say three or four gigantic companies that, have proliferated products around the world. I mean, they're just everywhere. So like, it's just, I don't know. It's like potato chips. You just grab one, toss it in there all the same. There's nothing significant to wearing Nike. You know, it's not like you're like, Oh damn, you wear Nike too. You're one of the hundreds of millions of people. Like, I think that there's a reason why, you know, we put stickers on our vehicles or our water bottles. And, you know, I even mentioned the people in the Northwest that, wear their flannels and drive Subarus. And it's a cliche if you're from this part of the country. But I, I mean, it's, it, it's a cliche. It's something that people willingly engage in because, well, there, based on the books that I've been reading, there's a number of reasons why you could say that that's the case. But they want to either be a part of a narrative or a lifestyle that they've seen, which, I mean, I would still say is pretty much a story. And there's a uniform. There's a way to, there's a way to, appear to signal to other people like you. And that's usually in the way that we dress and the way that we behave. And I think, well, the funny thing about code of the West is if you are one of the people that already kind of understands it, then you know that there isn't any one way to signal these things. In fact, most of these things are super subtle, nonverbal. It's just, it's just the way that you live. And I mean, that, that, that was something I picked up on a real young age is that, you know, sometimes you did get a moral lesson growing up the way I did anyways, but most of the time it was just, uh, take your hat off when you're inside or tuck your shirt in or don't walk on the grass. That was a big one. I don't know if anybody had that. I, that boggled my mind. Uh, there were, you couldn't walk on grass or then this might be a Midwest thing, but there were two rooms in the in in most houses where I grew up back east or in the Midwest, and it was a dining room, so there's three rooms: dining room, living room, and family room. And even to this day, I always get him confused. But I think the family room 
was the one where everybody would gather. You know, that was usually there was a TV there or it was at least like that's where the couches were. And if you had people over, that's where you'd hang out. Dining room obviously makes sense. No one ever ate in the dining room, though, unless it was a holiday, which was funny. And then there was the living room, which to this day, I don't know what the point of a living room was because I never once saw anybody in that room. It didn't matter what house you were in. If you had a living room, there was no purpose for it, evidently, other than to have an additional room to put furniture in. You know, so some of these things were silly to me. I would still love to know what the deal was with the living room, by the way, if anybody can explain that to me, I would love it. But, you know, you, you there were just things that you did. And, and I am a challenger of the status quo. I am not a, I am not a conformist. So uh, it's funny to me that we're talking about this because one actually had came across this in Peterson's book, too, where it was actually talking about that he used uh, Jesus Christ as an example. And bear with me here. I'm not trying to get religious. Uh, but, you know, if you if you've ever read the Bible, uh, you, you there are things about it that I find very fascinating, especially in the new Testament, where if you're reading about how Jesus grew up, he was preternaturally intelligent, like he freaky smart, uh, for, for the time and for his age. And he was often kind of engaging with higher ups in the Jewish traditions. And there's a story about, I think they were going to Bethlehem or something. I can't remember where they were going. This is why I'm not a scholar or a theologian, but you know, his parents are like looking for him and like, dude, where that, where that, where's Jesus at? Like we can't find him. And they end up traveling back to where they came from. And he's like in a temple, just chilling with rabbis and teachers and is essentially holding his own, having a conversation. Like this guy is steeped in the tradition and understands it. Flash forward, like 20 years later, he's being arrested and crucified by the same people because he has now chosen to break a lot of those rules. Like the things that pissed people off about him if you if you're reading the if you actually are reading it is things like breaking the Sabbath like you don't you don't roll on you don't roll on Shabbos you know that was a big thing you don't work and then there's these allegories where he's talking about well if your sheep falls into a well and you've only got one sheep and it's and it's the Sabbath like you're gonna let your sheep die or you're gonna grab it and if you say you're not gonna grab it then you're lying and that's that's the issue and that's kind of what Peterson's pondering is that like if you break the rule because you know you you know you have to, not because you want to, is there honor in that? And he he proposes that that there is or purports. And and I think that that's kind of what I'm getting at with Code of the West sort of stuff, is that like these are all guidelines and rules or I mean, I, I really honestly do think I have my own sort of twenty twentieth first century version of these in my head that I've been rolling around with. But I do believe in these things. I, be, I believe that there's probably a way of interpreting drink your, you know, drink your whiskey with your gun hand to show your friendly intentions. In my mind, there, that there, there's something to unpack there, like an allegory. Then there's things like, you know, less is more, you know, save your breath for breathing. I mean, the, impl- the implication there is just shut the fuck up sometimes and listen. And that's a huge thing that I think a lot of us need to take to heart. You know, a lot of us don't like the idea of not being an expert in a field or being made to feel stupid in some way. And we get to jibber jabbering and there's just really no point, you know, that happens in corporations a lot. People have meetings, people talk, 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 talk. Nothing really gets solved. I mean, we, we all encounter it a lot. And then, you know, you get the quiet professionals every once in a while that just get shit done. And, and so anyways, there's, 
I, I, if you look at that, it's not meant to be the Ten Commandments, even though I did put ten on there. Um, it, <laughs> I didn't even think about that until now. Um, but it, it's just, I really think that there's something to it. I, it's not just some sort of, um, how do I say this? It's it's not just, I'm talking about branding. I'm talking about putting something together, but I hope it's coming across that like, I can't build something unless I believe in it and, and that there's something to solve. And I think the problem to solve is we're kind of jerks these days to ourselves and to other people around us. And I'm not saying that everybody's horrible or that everybody listening to this is a terrible person. Not at all. It's just that if we're not thinking about these things, we're probably not doing them. And, you know, I, I'm guilty of this stuff all the time. You know, uh, I, I'm literally recording myself in a podcast right now in my apartment by myself. So I should probably take the <laughs> less is more approach, but, but I also, I hope that, you know, well, no one's holding a gun to anybody's head to listen to the podcast for one, but also I, I hope maybe that there's something shared in this, that by doing this, it helps me. It makes me feel better. That theory of the mind, like, even though I can't see all of you necessarily, being able to get the reaction and being able to kind of have a dialogue with some of you on Instagram has been really nice and helpful. And it makes me, makes my brain feel a lot better. Not just because of what I said, it's nice to know that other people around that share similar ideas. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's, um, it, it just brings me a lot of solace validation, maybe even like I was saying with seeing that report on my brain and understanding or seeing clearly and having somebody explain to me with data, why I've struggled with certain things my entire existence. It doesn't mean that the struggle isn't still there. It just means that I have a way of fixing it now or or at least approaching it and, and addressing it in a more succinct manner. And so I hope that, I hope this stuff rings true. I hope it doesn't seem disingenuous because I really want it to be, well, I, it is real to me for sure. And I see it all the time. It, I definitely see it with, my coworkers in Black Rifle who are from like the special operations side of things. And Kevin and I kind of talked about it when we were, I don't think we actually recorded that part of our conversation, but just talking about trust and honor. Like these are not, these are words and and ideas that we don't talk about in civilian life that much, but it's it's very much a real thing to, to these people still. And I think maybe that's why, I mean, some people are just, terrified it seems like of of engaging uh veterans you know they're happy to see them in an airport and go up and make a big theatrical display of of thanking somebody but if that same person were to come in to apply for a job they're being told you know sorry uh we think that you're a ticking time bomb or um you know you're you're experience isn't, isn't, isn't transferable. I and mean, it's just, there's so many stories I've heard since I worked at black rifle about that. I mean, there's people that are friends. I think I mentioned it before this friends of black rifle that had to start their own businesses just because they couldn't get hired. And these were people who were trainers and leading men, groups of men, companies. It's just, it's incredible what we, how we uh, compartmentalize things. And so for me anyways, I just, I just wanted to, I wanted to put that out there. I, now that, now that the, now that the rules were up and, uh, you know, people can go and print them and whatever, 
And I really, truly, if you want to, I'm not just putting up some smoke. They're there for free. I want you to have them. If you feel like it's important enough to print them and put them up somewhere, I would love for you to do that. Uh, it, like the drawings and the shirts and the hats and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I'm putting some skin in the game. I'm making those things because I want to wear them myself. And I want to, those are the, the signifiers I want to have on my person. And I hope that maybe other people would react to that as well. But, you know, for something like, I don't know, I'm a capitalist for sure. Like I've literally got a dollar sign tattooed on my chest, but there's also times where I don't feel like it's right to hold something so tightly. And, and so in the case of the, the actual code, the, the, the 10, I don't know, I guess implied, uh, implied rules are not really, they're not laws, they're not rules. They're just like, don't be an asshole. Basically all of them. The, I just want people to be able to post those up. Like, I, I mean, I, maybe I'll print my own version at some point, like on a really nice, you know, archival paper or something, but like, I, I just think it's, I had this weird feeling like it's important. And I know I can't believe I just said that out loud and then I'm recording it. And that if you're listening to it, it means I didn't edit it out, <laughs> but I do, I do think and feel like it's important to, to talk about these things and, and be reminded of these things. And, and I do think that honor is real. At least I've, I've chosen to believe that honor is real in my life and in my existence. And, and that truth is something. And I want to do the best I can to exemplify that. And, and maybe that's all it is. I, I mean, I don't think that anybody wants me to talk about ethics here or natural law, but I certainly don't because I haven't brushed up on those topics for quite some time. But I, I think that collectively, this is our shared story. And, and I don't mean ours, just those of you who are listening right now or who might be showing up for the drop on the third. But I mean, I think that there was a time where even if we all failed in moments of it, in our history, I think that these were things, as a country, our history, I should say, these were things that they were at least discussed and, uh, and people would aspire to. And some people saw through, maybe saw through it and thought that it was bullshit. Maybe, maybe it was at the time. Maybe it was for the wrong reasons. But I think, I think that we need this. I think that, I think that we need that shared story. And, and even if this isn't it, Maybe it'll inspire somebody else to do it better and and have a, I don't know, a better medium or a better message than what I can put out there. Because I just, I don't know, I, I feel like what we have is so beautiful and so rare. And what would I say, what we have, the great experiment, the, the republic, you know, the work in progress that was always meant to be that. I just think it's such an extraordinary thing that it exists and that it has reshaped the surface of the earth for good and bad. But I mean, I would argue that it's done more good than it has done bad. And, and if you disagree, then the greatest, coolest thing about it is that you have the opportunity to get involved with it and change it. That's, that's what representative government is. And so to have this bright spot in the world, especially, I mean, like right now, I've been getting notifications on my phone all day about the buildup on the Ukrainian border from, you know, from Russia and NATO's trying to 
keep everybody from going to war and we're dropping tons of ammo and hellfire missiles and all this shit. And it's, it's like, I mean, goddamn, like we're, we're doing this again. We just got out of one war and we're about to go to another one. seems like anyways. And then that's not even talking about China and Taiwan, but we have to remember the rest of the world is essentially, I mean, not the rest of it, not all of it, but I mean, a lot of the world, China and Russia are under either oligarchs or authoritarian rule. And these are places that don't have the same level of respect or place the same level of value on individual freedoms. And so, I mean, so much so that they're willing to just, you know, essentially annex other people, their culture, their property. So it's, it's going to always be a thing. You know, we're always going to stand at odds with people who don't respect the sovereignty of other people's existences, you know, and that, cause I mean, that is essentially what we are at its heart. You know, we, the people we're, we have a, we have a government set up by us to protect us and really nothing more. I mean, you can argue it different ways for sure, but a lot of people I think would agree with me in, in, in saying that, this whole thing is more to protect us than it is to serve the government. Uh, at least that's that was the point of it. Whether that remains to be seen to change at some point in the future, or is it changing? That's a whole different podcast, and I don't do that one. Um, <laughs> but point though is is that we're going to have to keep getting you know hit in the back of the head, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, and that's because of who we are at, at our heart. We, we, I think as a country believe that everybody should have a fair, a fair shake. And, and that's what goes back to those rules that Peterson talks about in his book about kids playing with each other and in, implicitly understanding like fairness, even though, you know, there really isn't any true definition of fairness in in nature. It's just, I mean, there's also some interesting studies, studies about that and how like, you know, they're, there is a um, an incentive actually to not be a bully uh, biologically, but that's a that's a whole different thing, and it's probably going to be super boring to talk about. But I guess biologically, no one likes a bully, is what I'm getting at. And I think that you know, if you really cut down to the nut of it, like that's what the code of the West is about. It's don't be a bully. Respect me. I respect you. And this is just kind of a a way to guide people through that. And I, I think that that's what we need. I think that I think we need to shake hands more often. We need to tuck our shirts more and more often uh, take our hats off when we go inside and, you know, not literally necessarily, but metaphorically speaking, these are little things that make you pause and sort of think about what you're doing. Hopefully again, you know, if you, you do these things blindly, then they're just, they're just blind tasks, but if you understand why you're doing something and you have these little, these moments throughout the day, then I, I don't know. They serve as little reminders to me. So that's a bit of a rambly one, wasn't it? <laughs> if you made it through that, God bless you. Cause, uh, um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on one tonight. I think I'm just, I'm just kind of getting some thoughts down. This is a little less, uh, less dedicated and direct than I normally am. But if you made it this far, Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, 
I guess uh, guess we'll see which one this ends up being. If this is number five or number six, or maybe it's number seven, or maybe you never hear it at all. Who knows? So thanks again. Uh, if you are listening to the podcast and following along on Instagram at the Code of the West, I'm probably going to be posting some stuff this week uh, about you know where the storefront's going to be, well, the virtual one. It's going to be online. What you know, have some product photos to share. The store is going to be. Uh, it's gonna. It's a. It's the real deal. It's. A, I'm. I had a friend help me put it together, and it's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be a, a pretty simple website, but in his words, a screaming Ferrari underneath the hood. And uh, so, everybody's gonna have a fair shake at it when it goes live on the third. Uh, I don't. Basically, if something go, if something runs out, it's gonna not oversell or anything like that. It's gonna be. It's going to be the real deal. So uh, hopefully hopefully that goes okay. If not, then no skin off my back. I just got a little bit less in my savings account. <laughs> I got a bunch of hats that uh, I guess I'll be, you know, figuring out a way to dispose of. But um, yeah, uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate your time always. And hopefully something that I said in this is interesting or worthwhile. Not, uh, you know, my apologies. I Sorry, I can't give you... 55 minutes back so i'll talk to you next time thanks for tuning in chris hunt out